March the 26th, 2016, lecture discussion number 276 on the book of Romans and other commensurable passages. In today's case, we are in Genesis 2, 3, and 4, Ephesians 5, Matthew 26, and Romans 12. How about that, huh? But before we resume with childbirth symbolism, because that's where we will be today as much as we can be, the sign that is childbirth, understanding what is meant by uh, sorrow and pain and salvation through childbirth, all that is involved in childbirth, uh, and, of course, the one, um, the question of who told you you were naked, the issues of free will, the choice of unbelief, and all the other things that we ventured into last Sunday, I thought it would be appropriate today to read some of the latest anti-aging science advancements that are servicing. Anti-aging is coming fast, very fast. They now estimate it will be within uh, months the highest estimates you'll find are three, five years. But once they succeed, the pressure to get that, that, that drug system is going to be enormous. So I brought in something today that I received uh, uh, to let you know. As you know, uh, God himself in the flesh, the I am, the ancient of days, Jesus Christ, Jesus God, said definitively that the time of the end of the age of the Gentiles would have elements in common with the time of the end of the evil of Genesis 6. That's what he said. You can find the evil of Genesis 6 and you will find it again. Or you, it will be revealed again at the end of the age of the Gentiles. And the time of the end of the great wickedness of uh, Genesis 18.20 and Genesis 19.13. Or if you will, you could say it this way. Look at what happened at the Noahic flood. The evil that was there, God describes it as incredible evil requiring destruction. And then the same thing is true of Sodom. Also, great wickedness requiring destruction. Or if you will, Noah and Lot and Lot's wife. Don't worry, I won't do Lot's wife today. There are some people that are dismayed by that. That's fantastic. <laughs> I have, really, that makes me feel proud. <laughs> but let me just give you Luke 17, 26 through 17. Or, I'm sorry, through 37. As it was in the days of Noah, likewise as it was in the days of light, even so will it be the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, I've... I've made that shorter than than it is, but that is the uh, that is the the passages that are applicable to what I'm saying here. Noahic time, the time of Noah, was an era of great, great murdering evil. Don't underestimate what it was like. We have no way to even imagine what occurred then, and that was exactly as it was in the time of Lot with Sodom. What Sodom was doing is extraordinary, not, not good. And we have a tendency to describe Sodom as something far, far less than it was. And you, I think that is a, a mistake that is, uh, leads you to great error, for, to be as blunt as I can be. For almost 20 years now, I have said that the evil which arose at Noah's period and Lot's 
was centered around the words of Genesis 3.19 and Genesis 3.22. Unto dust you shall return. God said, unto dust you shall return. Man did not like that. And man has undertaken everything he can to stop that from occurring. And God also said, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also from the tree of life. Both of those verses have to ultimately resolve, if you will, or reveal themselves in the Noatic period and Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, mankind strives to defeat the curse of death by decay, the dissolving of the physical body, the separating of the living soul, the spirit from the joints and the bones, Hebrews 4.12. Genesis 6 was marked by genetic manipulation, so also was Sodom. (coughs) Sodom had made very evil, horrific advances. The experimentation that they had accomplished against the curse of Genesis 3.16 and 19, again, undescribable. When God blew them up, the reasoning, and reasoning isn't how you describe God, but the to put it in humanistic form, it was because of what they were doing. They were doing things that, uh, again, horrifying. Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50 gives us a glimpse of what their capabilities were at the time. They had solved all aspects of the curse except for death by decay, and they had slowed death by decay extremely. Old men surrounded that house. How old were those men? They were hundreds of years old. So they had begun to do things that we are now uh, watching happen in our lifetime. On the internet somewhere, uh, Supper Dave titled it, Bloody Stump in the Mail. And uh, that was a lecture I did on judges. You see these things constantly reoccur through history. They're in the Bible continually, and now here they come again in our lifetime. We can expect, we can be positive that anti-aging will surface in our life if we are the last generation of the age of the Gentiles. It has to happen. Christ said it would happen. It has to happen if he says it will happen. There's nothing else that can happen but that. And so expect the the times that are near to to the tribulation to be the same as it was in Sodom and the same as it was In Genesis 6, the curse of physical death is necessary because of our sin condition. The Bible tells us that it is for our sake. We die because we have to die. If we don't die, not good. I know it's hard to look at death as a good thing, but that is how the Bible describes it, for our sake. Genesis 3.17 but mankind, and I think you can include the fallen angelic beings also in this, but, but mankind specifically, because we're the ones that have physical death. They do not. They have a different kind of death. We'll get into that as the weeks go by. But mankind desires to remain in his fallen depravity state without any consequences. Leave us alone, the depraved, sinful human says. He doesn't want any interference from his creator. Good luck with that. There's two places where God interfered in this thinking. One is Noah. The other is Sodom. Lot. He will do it again. When man reaches this certain... It's almost like we bump against the ceiling. 
When we get really close, boom. We get close again, boom. It's what he does. Sin is going to end. The question is, by the way, I hate to have that happen on birthday cake day. Last week was just plain cake day. That was fantastic, but this is birthday cake day. Why does evil even have a season? That's the philosophical question. Evil has a season. It will end. God will end it. Sin will end. The wicked will be contained, removed from his creation. It is a matter of time. But why is there even any time for evil at all? That is the subject we're in today. So let's read the the latest advances in anti-aging science. I won't read all of it. Uh, You can come up and get it from me afterwards, if you will. This is uh, the date this was uh, issued was uh, March the 23rd, 2017. Oh, dear. That would be three days ago. I had to look. Uh, Researchers, University of New South Wales. Again, remember, the Israelites or the Israeli scientific community is way ahead here. Uh, are Are these a collaborative In other words, are these running parallel tracks or are they interacting with one another? So this is University of New South Wales. Where is that? Probably in New South Wales, I would guess. Where is New South Wales? Hmm? Is it in one of the, the... See, we have young lions, right? We have the lion and the young lions. The lion is Great Britain. The young lions would be the United States, Canada, and Australia. They are specifically mentioned. We are specifically mentioned in Ezekiel 38. So here we go. University of New South Wales. Researchers have made a discovery that could lead to a revolutionary drug that actually reverses aging, improves DNA, and could even help NASA get its astronauts to Mars. Let me, uh, a, a few weeks back, I mentioned that Israel's work in cell restoration or regeneration as it applies to uh, radiation burn injuries, because that's the issue here. Radiation causes tremendous uh, cellular destruction. What's the greatest source of radiation for us? See, radiation, as you know, destroys cell systems. This eventually, this is why us Alaskans, I, I want to say, by the way, This is why us Alaskans are more youthful in appearing, appearance, than, say, uh, those in Arizona. I, for example, would be equivalent in visage to a 35-year-old. This is all true. In Phoenix, say Phoenix, see, we live in darkness mostly, and that preserves our vitality. This is an, I am an example of this. Whereas the sun seekers are bombarded with radiation, aren't they? And it ages them far, far, did I say far? Uh, More rapidly, it's quite sad for them. Anyway, radiation, cosmic radiation has a deteriorative effect. And those that are researching aging are aware of that, okay? So let's just get that out of the way. 
University of uh, New South Wales re researchers have made a discovery that could lead to a revolutionary drug that actually reverses aging, improves DNA repair, and could even help NASA get its astronauts to Mars. What that means is, I repeated that, I didn't mean to, but it means that once I leave the, the safety of the atmospheric environment that we have here that affects, bounces much of the sun's radiation backwards, right? So it affects how much radiation can get through to you and me, that and living in the closet of Alaska. Uh, when an astronaut gets outside of that protective envelope, then he is fragile. When you're in an aircraft, of course, you are fragile, much more so. So they, the scientific community, especially the medical scientists, uh, understand that. In a paper published in Science Today, the t that's like published in Science on March 23rd, the team identifies a critical step in the molecular process that allows cells to repair damaged DNA. Their experiments in mice suggest a treatment is possible for DNA damage from aging and radiation. Notice aging and radiation. Those are together here. So outside force versus natural decay. It is also promising, it is, I'm sorry, it is so promising, it has attracted the attention of NASA, which believes the treatment can help in Mars missions. While our cells have an innate capability to repair DNA damage, which happens every time we go out into the sun, for example, their ability to do this declines as we age. Here's proof. I am a living, aging experiment for you to analyze. The scientists identified that the metal, I'm sorry, the metabol, I can't read myself, metabolite NAD+, which is naturally present in every cell of our body, has a key role as a regulator in protein-to-protein -protein interactions that control DNA repair. Treating mice with an NAD plus precursor or booster called NMN improved their cells' ability to repair DNA damage caused by radiation exposure or... Aging, not and yet, but or. The cells of the old mice were indistinguishable from the young mice. I am an old mice. Let me continue. Just after one week of treatment, in other words, an old mice like me becomes a young mice in one week. Said lead author Professor David Sinclair of UNSW School of Medical Sciences and Harvard's Medical School, Boston. Human trials of NMN therapy will begin in six months. This is the closest we are to a safe and effective anti-aging drug that perhaps only three to five years away from being on the market if trials are successful, says Sinclair, who maintains a lab at UNSW in Sydney, Australia. Uh, they originally had this concept because of childhood Cancer survivors. What happens to a child that survives cancer, of course, is that they are bombarded with radiation. And as they age, their cell structures have deteriorated, deteriorated, and now they have come up with a way to restore them. That just happens to be 
anti-aging. Now, the Israelis, as you know, have made fantastic advances in radiation burn therapies. Similarly, they are doing the exact same thing. They are opposed, of course, they are preparing for, they are opposing and they are preparing for a nuclear or some kind of radioactive explosion. That's because they're smart. The offshoot of this Middle East conflict is Noah and Lot. Here we go again. That is a sign of the end of the age of the Gentiles. Consider the evil of a man unslowed, unbowed by age. If Mao, Stalin, Pol Pot were still alive. Young. How much evil, how evil would they be now? How black and dark would they be? If damage by radiation is mitigated, how far behind is this solution to the dissolving process? How truncated could death by time be? Are we all going to go to a hundred years, two hundred years? Do we see the ages of the Bible return in our generation? That is a sign that the end is near. That is the threshold that when it's bumped against, God acts, he intervenes. The greatest intervention of all is the tribulational period. Okay? As it was in the time of Noah and Lot, so shall it be when Jesus Christ is revealed. That means he's revealed as what? Or who? He's revealed as the God of creation. Okay, where were we? To briefly recap, I spent some time last Sunday on the question of whether free will would be eliminated in the eternal order. You might remember, for those who persevered, persevered is a euphemism for remaining awake, that this issue is always framed in, I'm going to say, this way that I'm about to give you. And it's in quotations because it should be. I'm not quoting it. It's just the general way. I've tried to write the general way this discussion is articulated. I actually got somebody on the Internet say, lose the Coke. It's distracting. I know. I know. Shocking, isn't it? But he actually wrote it. It's on one of our videos that Dave put on the Internet. Lose the Coke. That would be so destructive, I can't even begin to imagine that. Somebody else called me, what did they call me? I can't remember. Uh, Illogical blatherer or something. They love me. They absolutely do. (laughs) And I love them back. It delights me. It makes me laugh every time I read it. I can't get enough of it. It's some kind of mental problem. If man, redeemed, saved, believing man, is endowed with the same free will capability as Adam and Eve, in other words, restored to Adam's original condition, then what prevents the reoccurrence of unbelief? That is the question, as best I can reframe it. What prevents the reoccurrence of sin? In other words, if you and I are restored to Adam's pre-fall condition, what stops us 
from unbelief. What prevents the reoccurrence of unbelief? The inference is this. Free will is only demonstrated by unbelief. Notice that I am pounding in the words unbelief today. I'm using unbelief as opposed to wickedness. Why am I doing that? Because they are synonymous. That is correct. In fact, one is the first stage, the other derived from it. So one is the genesis of wickedness. See, I do this on purpose. Ask why I do it on purpose. Anyway, the typical hypothesis is that free will will always result, will, I have to make sure you know I'm, never mind, always manifest itself as evil. Free will will always be result in evil. And therefore, God must act to exclude it, to prohibit it, eliminate it. You pick. If he doesn't, if you have free will, if I have free will, irrespective of the condition that we're in, evil will occur. Because unbelief will be chosen. Therefore, those who believe, those who are reconciled to God, those who enter the eternal order, eternal life, will have to be stripped of their capacity to reject God's commandments. Otherwise, we will. And all of that has to be done in order to block a reenactment of Genesis 3. Let me rephrase that so it might make more sense this time. God must, he must intervene with respect to man's will. They will say to you, he must exorcise it, or the current sin state will constantly reemerge. Free will, therefore, they will say, and sin are inexorable. They, it is a relentless condition. And that, that's widely taught in the church today. That this is exactly the solution, the eternal state. In other words, by solution, God must remove your free will in the eternal state or there will be sin again. I will say the majority of churches, if put under pressure, will tell you that's what they teach. And those who hold this view do admit that this places the saved in a diminished status. Because the most obvious of the obvious questions now come flying out, right? Come forth. If you are, in, if I, if all the saved are in the eternal order, the eternal life status are in the new Jerusalem, and we do not have free will in order to protect us from becoming sinful again, it's stripped from us, then are we equal to Adam? So we're not restored to Adam. We're different. Let me ask another question. Is there free will to reject God in the lake of fire? In other words, the people in the fire, or lake of fire who are unsaved, do they have free will? Yes or no? And hopefully you see the first of many problems now starting to come. If it is conceded, and note that I said if, that the lake of fire, the destiny of those who do not believe Jesus Christ is... Uh, who do not believe in Jesus Christ, they don't believe he is the I am, if, that, if the lake of fire remains a place of free will, 
Whereas the new Jerusalem, the place of eternal life, has no free will. Free will is removed. Well, now what's being said about God? What's being said about your eternal status? It's extremely fragile, right? He doesn't trust us, does he? He, ha- he can't. Now, again, the church teaches this. So look at these kinds of things logically and go, is this, does this make sense? What does this say about the character of God? What does it say about the salvation of me? How comprehensive is our salvation? Could God figure this out? See, what you are beginning to witness is man can't figure it out, so what does man do? Comes in and makes a, uh, yeah, blames God, makes a mess. To be fair to the people that hold this position, they will tell you that all free, free will is eliminated forever. In fact, they'll tell you there's never ever been any free will. It's all an illusion, which is exactly what the evolutionary philosopher said. And if you're on the side of atheistic evolutionaryism, then you should be concerned about your doctrine. But they believe, many that hold the position, that all free will has been eliminated, will be eliminated forever, and if there was ever any, it's all going to be gone. And some of them don't believe there ever was any in the first place, as I said. But um, again, also you'll see it phrased this way. All free will is eliminated for the saved forever as it pertains to belief and unbelief, which then causes a list to form. Because list makers gonna. All right. Okay, let's try this. So what is true about free will? Will we are the saved or the unsaved, if you wish, have the freedom to reject uh, unbelief Christ in the new uh, in the new Jerusalem. B. Is there going to be freedom? To reject Christ in the lake of fire. Go ahead and answer yes or no while I'm doing this. Neither A and B are true. In other words, no. No one will have freedom in the new Jerusalem, and no one will have freedom of will in the lake of fire. D. B is true. A is false. In other words, they will say, there will be free will in the lake of fire, but there will not be free will in the eternal order or the new Jerusalem. God will strip it away. Again, that's probably the most common, the majority view in the church today. So, A is true. B is false. 
There will be free will to reject Christ in the New Jerusalem, but there is no free will in the lake of fire at all. God has removed it there. So far, you following me? Let's see if I can change that. None of the above is true. Which means none of that is true. All of the above is true. I will help you with those two. I could make this false. That would just be as much fun. You pick. I used to do that on every test. F and G. My high school so-called career. All of the above is true. None of the above is false. Or all of the above is false. None of the above is true. I, I didn't put the smiley faces on it because they would choose it. It was fantastic teaching technique. I, I used to have some of them would come here. You notice they don't come anymore since we came to this location. But they used to come and I would make them stand up to, to verify that I actually did that on every single test I ever wrote. But most of those uh, students now are in mental health facilities, so they're not no longer allowed in the public arena. Ignoring F and G, but you decide which is the case. There's free will in the New Jerusalem. There isn't any in the lake of fire. There's free will in both. There's free will in neither. There's free will in one or the other. Does God permanently fix our obedience to him? That is the ultimate uh, boiled down question. Because he does it with our salvation now, doesn't he? That's the doctrine of eternal security. Because our perfect eternal, does he, does he fix our obedience to him? Because as with our eternal security, our perfect eternal condition is similar to our current sinful state. Does that make sense? It probably doesn't. As I'm trying to say it, I'm realizing it made no sense. Try again. We have eternal security. We're in a sinful state, and God makes sure that our salvation is inviolable. Does he do that in the eternal state as well, when we are not in a sinful state? Is our eternal condition, our perfect eternal condition, like our current saved but sinful state, and therefore subject to deception? Are we deceivable in the New Jerusalem? Can we be fooled? Do you see where this is headed? Does anyone want to take a chance on where I'm going? I wouldn't blame you. But obviously, I am going to head to Adam not being deceived, aren't I? You must have Adam right in order to figure out what's going to be right for you or us. That's just to let you get ahead of the conversation. In other words, we are preserved, secured by Christ now. We are in a sinful state now, aren't we? He loses none we are preserved and secured because we are sheep. To, to repeat what Bill the Fast says, mucus in the front and dingleberries in the back, running for the cliff. 
We're fragile and we're stupid in our sinful state. And he makes it impossible for you to cast off your salvation. He does that. Because if he doesn't, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Let me just say that. Say this. Does the weakness that we currently have exist in the New Jerusalem? Is it necessary for him to strip our free will to keep us saved? That ultimately becomes where we go. And is that why God, in the logic of the people who believe that, erases our will? Because he has to erase the capability, doesn't he? So that we will never choose unbelief or be subject to a lie. Let me try to clarify it. Maybe. I'm referring to the casting off of the blood covering of Christ. That's what we have now. We have the blood covering of Christ on us. There is an overwhelming majority of the church that says you have the ability to peel it off, scrub it off, fire hose it, sandblast, whatever you want. You can get rid of it. Then, of course, the question becomes, can you reapply it after you've changed your mind again? And then how many times can you go through the process? Thousands and thousands? Some will say, no, you can only do it once because they've run up against me and people like me that mock them over this. And so they have a new, I guess, red phone call from God to say, well, I'll let you do it one time and then you've got to stay with it, otherwise I shoot you. I'm trying, not, I'm trying to show respect for the position. Right now, we, we have the blood covering of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. It is impossible to lose your salvation now in your sinful state. Why is that so? We have covered it many times. The hand of Christ is infinite. Have no position that ever says Christ is not infinite. If you do, boom, down the drain you will go into the ditch. We cannot leave the infinite hand of God. How big is the hand? How small are you? How long will it take you to get off the hand of God? Start running now. I'll wait. It's nuts, isn't it? We cannot leave the hand of God and he will not release us. He has said so. Though we may foolishly curse God, blame God, question God, run from God, all the things we do now, all the choices we make now, his hand is infinite. You're not going to find the edge and you can't get off of it. That's a promise he gave us. Will God keep his promise? Will Christ do what he says? If, to grant me the ridiculous if here, if we had the power to peel off our blood garment, it's madness. Christ is omnipotent. Think about that. How good a garment did he put on you? Did he, he's also omniscient, did he know that we're dumb enough to try to peel it off? How good a paint job is this? Don't try lacquer thinner. I spent my life with lacquer thinner all over me. It's not a good idea. It's made me the way I am now. Trying to warn you again. But think it through. Christ is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnibenevolent. Today, grant the hypothetical, um, though, 
If we had such a power, as I've said thousands of times, every one of us would have done it already. That means none of us would be saved. Christ's plan of salvation would result in no one being saved. That would be God either stupid or evil or both. That can't be true. So what is the difference in the eternal age? By that I mean... Is eternal security for a saved but fallen man necessary for a man who has eternal life? Answer yes or no now. Submit your answers to the ushers. Whether you get it right will determine how good of a parking space you get from here on out. Or what your status in the buffet line is. I want to let the Internet know that we have gone from having a cake contest every Sunday to a chili contest. We are so smart here. I am just amazed. I'm so happy with our intelligence. (laughs) Is eternal security for a saved but fallen man necessary for a man who has eternal life? And if not... Why does a renewed man or woman not choose to sin then? Is it because he or she cannot sin or will not sin? That's your choice. More questions. We will continue this discussion next Sunday, running out of time for this segment today. I have more to get to. Will our memories of sinful actions, thoughts be erased? Our our sinful thoughts, will your sinful thoughts be erased by God? Notice the similarities in the questions that I'm asking now. Does God delete every sinful thought from our minds? Is this the renewing of the minds of Romans 12:2? Let me read that really fast. As he says, what does he say? I'm going to renew your mind. Is that erasure? Here we go. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is good and perfect and acceptable. Does God renew our minds, and the way he does it is remove every sinful thought from us? By the way, there's your Roman study for today, just in case you were. If God removes and casts away all your thoughts that are contaminated by sin, what's the obvious question? How much of your mind is left? How many of your memories do you have left? Count them for me now. Ready? Go. (laughs) Oh, some people have said one. Cast them out. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) If how much of you is you if he erases your sinful memory? If we keep our memories, how is it that they are no longer sinful? Remember, Christ kept his scars, didn't he? We're going to keep pieces of us. There's no doubt about it. Uh, We will be recognizable. The Bible says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are they who mourn for their sins. 
All of this eventually leads to what remains if free will is taken from you. Do you see how I've jumped to that? If I take your memory, I take your free will, what remains? And why grant the ability to reject God? God grants the ability to reject him in Genesis 2 and 3. Why grant that ability to reject himself, to not believe him? What's the point of the two trees test if it always ends fatally? If you believe there was no other option by a, but fatality, then why do the, would he know that? Now, are you wiser than he? Please say no. Why would God create a fatalistic process? What does that say about him? Those who say the only way this can end, free will can end, is in, is in a death event, then what does that say about God? Memories are a fascinating subject. I've dealt with it for many years now. Memory loss because of the, the, the curse that's in my family. Alzheimer's on my mother's side, deep on my mother's side. My father was in dementia in his early 80s. Um, and so I know about memory loss. Something that I experience. My inability to remember, recall has, has, uh, uh it's really begun to plague me now, and I know it's happening, and I'm aware of it. That's why I'm interested in it, because it's coming for me. Um, but I do know one thing. I don't remember things very well as I'm speaking to you. That is just my condition, and it has absolutely no impact on my self-awareness. I don't remember anything from below the age of six anymore. I hardly remember anything below the age of 20. Um, and that has absolutely no impact on me at all. I read, as you know, I read notes that I have put in books and in the Bible that I have here. That's the reason I don't get rid of it, because I have so many notes in it, even though it's fallen apart. I keep it because I've written all these things. Every time I read it, it's like, wow, that guy's really smart. Who is this guy? Or, or the opposite, I read that. This man's an idiot. How could he write that? I don't remember. It has no impact on me. I am still me. So again, how, how memories work in there and how it all goes. Remember though, haha, it's kind of a joke, remember? Information. What I'm talking about is information Science. Information exists. Information theory. Information is never destroyed. Our ability to recall all of that is what is affected, not the information. Thank you. I see your hands. And so that's what the uh, people are going to come here for first fruits, right? And so what am I going to do? That's right. Information theory. It'll be fantastic. They'll love it. Okay. Don't invite anyone. Okay, really fast now. Childbirth. Who told you that you were naked? The man has become like one of us. All of this is from last week, March the 19th. Because you have listened to your wife. Remember that? The degree of Satan's fall versus Eve's fall. There are different degrees in, in, in how they both fell. That is why a man leaves. Therefore shall a man, for this reason a man shall leave. You will be like gods. You shall be like gods. 
dying you shall die. Their eyes were open. Unbelief. Does unbelief end? Does God end unbelief? Does he? Does God end sin? Of course he does. How does he end sin? Death for your sake. All of those were topics from last week. Some of them I did a little bit now, and they still require attention. And obviously, it's not possible to provide any of these. They deserve justice. I just can't do it. Superficiality is my motto here. As you know, I can get shallow, and that's about it. You're on your own here. I don't have the ability um, in my defense here. It's not by design. It's just normal. Because I can't, I don't have the authority to force anyone to do reading assignments. I can try, but it doesn't work. I've learned that. There's no grade here. I've tried that too. Didn't work either. I have no coercive device. Anyway, having all said that, Adam ate the sin, didn't he? Ate sin. Did Adam do this in unbelief? Yes or no? Eve ate sin. Did she do it in unbelief? She was deceived. That's right. She believed Satan's lie. And if she believed Satan's lie, then what is the consequences of believing Satan? If you believe Satan, then you cannot be in a place of belief with respect to what God has said. So she ate sin in unbelief. Did Adam eat sin in unbelief? 1 Timothy 2.14 makes it clear that Adam did not eat sin in unbelief. There is no stuttering. The typology of Adam established at Romans 5.14 forces us then to find the New Testament complement to Adam not eating sin in unbelief because he is a type of Christ. Now, he does not do justice to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy of Adam. But Adam is a type of Christ. He's there as a type of Christ. God honors him as a type of Christ. Where in the New Testament did Jesus Christ the fulfillment, the last Adam, the second Adam, the second federal head of humanity, eat poison. Where is it? And I suggest that it's Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 36 through 39. And we're going to need to compare these. Behold, remember this one? The man has become like one of us. Adam Eight sin and unbelief. Where in the Bible did Christ eat poison in unbelief? Is it possible for Christ to have anything but unbelief? This is peccability versus impeccability, if you want to know the doctrinal issue here. Could Christ choose to sin? What's the answer? No, he can't. Notice how I phrased it, though. I put the word choose in there, didn't I? Anyway, we're going to have to go through that next week. Childbirth. The woman will be saved. She will be rescued, the word means. She will be rescued through childbirth. Because the woman fell in unbelief. Her fallen, she fell because of unbelief. Nevertheless, she will be rescued, saved in childbirth, childbearing. 1 Timothy 2.15. What it says. What's it mean? It's a puzzling verse. 
I have yet to find a comprehensive explanation or solution. It's extremely mysterious. Again, I can't keep saying this enough. To quit underestimating the Bible. Quit thinking you figured it out. You probably haven't. Be respectful. Say, why as a sheep, mucus, i got mucus all over me. How can I even read anything? Tell yourself, listen, this might be deeper than I could ever even imagine. Be respectful. Be in awe. And again, I, haven't, I don't think I've ever find a, found a comprehensive, uh, comprehensive uh, analysis of it to that passage, 1 Timothy 2.15. I will say this, M.R. Dahan made the best effort I have read, and he should be uh, set aside for that. And you don't want to honor a man, but he, he was an amazing theologian, way ahead of his time. Again, it's literally this. She shall be saved through the bearing of a child because she is in unbelief, which is the same as deceived. Adam is not in unbelief, which is the same as undeceived. What does it mean that she will be saved through the bearing of a child? What could this mean? I mean it means that it is obvious that what it means, that it is connected to what Adam did. It's connected to Adam's calculation. Jesus Christ says this. Jesus Christ did this. It'll be more accurate. Ephesians 5. You do it at all the weddings, right? I do it for on all the weddings because it's extraordinary. Husbands, love your wives. Who's the husband in that sentence? Just as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. Again, let me repeat this part. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ so loved his bride. Let me read it, read it this way. Husbands, love your wife just as the last Adam so loved his bride. And gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her. So husbands ought to love their own brides as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Just as Christ does for his bride the church. For two are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For we, I'm sorry, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Who in the Bible could I say that about? All of that. Who is a bone of the bone? And this is Adam and Eve. This is applicable to Adam. You could put Adam in every one of these sentences. I'll explain it. I'll make it obvious. For this reason, a man shall leave his his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Who said that? Adam. So there is a relationship between Christ loving his bride and Adam loving his bride. Adam's bride being made of his body and and us being made of Christ's body, if you will. 
This is a great mystery. Great mystery. Don't underestimate it. Adam so loved his wife, both Adams, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. What reason is that? What is the this reason? Remember, God said to Adam, and this is we're shutting it down, because you listened to your wife, greatly uh, multiply the sorrow and thy conception. Because you listen to your wife and greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, in conception, both of those are about childbirth. Adam listened to his wife about childbirth. Adam knew that she could be saved through childbirth. How did he know that? One, he's incredibly intelligent. He understands God, but he knew that the way we save her, because why? He so loved her, he's going to save her. Because you listen to your wife about childbirth, that's what God says. Because you listen to your wife about childbirth, she's going to have greater multiplication of sorrow and pain in childbirth. That's how they fit together. Now, everyone in my limited brief experience that I have ever met assumes that Adam was being rebuked by God. I have yet to meet somebody who tells me otherwise. What I mean by that, because you listen to your wife about childbirth, is a rebuke. Because you did that, now you're going to suffer consequences. I'm saying to you, that's illogical. It makes no sense. Contextually, it's absolutely ripped out of context completely. It's not a rebuke. Because you listen to your wife about childbirth, not a rebuke. It's actually honoring. It's this way. Because you listen to your wife. Not because you listen to your wife. How come all you women think it's a rebuke? How come all you men think it's a rebuke? It's not. It is a man who Christ honored. God honored. Romans 5.14 Because Adam listened to his wife, what happened? What does God say happened? The curse of death is now for what? For your sake. What could it have been? It's for your sake. If God says this is for your sake, is that bad or good? Because you listen to your wife, this is for your sake. The fig leaves are removed. Is that bad or good? The blood covering is given. Is that bad or good? The woman is now called the mother of all living. The seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent again. Is anything bad here? Is there anything that is awful? None of that. The flaming support, the sword protects the tree of life. All of that is good because he listened to his wife about childbirth. It isn't condemnation. It is the opposite. Next week, we will find out if I'm right. 
Why do we have to wait a week? Can't, can't we just assume I'm right now and have cake? 